morning. Don't, don't you just love that story? Don't those words, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. They just about stick in my craw, it's hard to say them. It was Mark Twain, a famous American writer, who famously said that when he was 18, he couldn't believe how stupid his parents were. But by the time he was 23, he marvelled at how much they'd learnt in five years. <laughs> Sound familiar? Maybe one of your kids has relegated you to the stupid categories. How close to 23 is he? How long have you got to go? The process of a child becoming an adult in a perfect world would be a natural transfer of, um, of power and perspective. But we live in a broken world. And some of us have, and may yet, have experienced some of the more fraught aspects of this procedure. Maybe you're struggling or agonising over some level of prodigal in your own family. Maybe you were a bit of a rebel, a prodigal yourself. Can you remember a time when you were itching for independence, knowing better than your parents, and like Barbara Streisand, doing it your way, until something happened and you realised that you perhaps weren't quite as happy and footloose and fancy-free as you thought you were. And I hate to admit it, but Mum was probably right. If you hadn't been too obnoxious, you could probably go back home and sort of patch it up. Your parents would have had to bite their tongue and not say, I told you so. But it would have all been put down to going through a stage. Just a rite of passage. My mother was always accusing me of going through a stage. It infuriated me. Um, but, and if you were a boy, you were almost expected to sow a few wild oats. Jesus told this parable as a wonderful unfolding of God's father heart. The immediate context was to um, point out to the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, and to the crowds, the great unwashed who weren't interested in religion, that the father's heart is open to everyone not only those who set store on, on being good, but those who have no, never bothered much at all. It would have infuriated the Pharisees and probably amazed the rest. At one level, this parable gives us a lot of insight into some practical wisdom for what is an all too common tragedy in many families. And it's this wisdom at the human level I want us to explore first. In just a few sentences each, Jesus describes three very distinct characters. We have no problem identifying the, the prodigal, the well-brought-up kid from a good home who rejects parental values, goes off in search of greener pastures and ends up making a shipwreck of his life. Years of separation and estrangement may ensue. We also have in this story the heartbroken father 
and another older, seemingly compliant sibling make up the family unit. First, the prodigal. This one did more than just flap his wings or sow a few wild oats. He demanded his share of the inheritance early, clearing out with no forwarding address, wasting the lot on, in the company of the very sort of people he'd been taught to avoid, and purposefully broke all ties, rejecting all the values of the home where he was loved. He went beyond the point of just being able to go back home and, oh, sorry, Dad, and reasonably expect the relationship with his father just to be patched up after a bit of teenage wing-flapping. Let's look at the father for a moment. We don't know whether his son's decision came out of the blue or whether he'd been stressing his father to the max for months with his crappy attitude and behaviour. But whichever, whichever, the father calmly, without apparent condemnation, just handed over his share of the inheritance. He doesn't appear to have said, Here, after all I've done for you, take it in good riddance and don't darken my doorstep again. Neither does he chase after him, begging him to come home, trying to make some sort of compromise. Look, son, what, what do I need to do? I'll do anything as long as you'll come home. No, none of that. I don't know about you, but this father's response was calmer than I could manage in the same circumstances. Our instincts, especially as mums, are always to conciliate, to protect, to minimise harm and avoid the nasty consequences of our children's behaviour. We turn ourselves inside out for our kids. How could this father just let the boy go like that? A child going off like that is so painful. Not only the sense of personal rejection and failure, but also our carefully nurtured hopes for this child's happiness, health, well-being, success in life, they're all shattered. We don't want our children to suffer. The photos on our walls and in our scrapbooks, memories that would otherwise be lovely, become so painful. Remembering the beautiful baby, the endearing little toddler with his funny ways, the warm cuddles, the tears only we mums could wipe away. The bright future his early successes and little triumphs seem to promise. Our very pleasure in doing everything to nurture and build up this, this child. Our very love for our child can be a cruel knife. I believe his father had done everything for his child to nurture and teach him just like we do. In the book of Job, whenever Job's sons had a party, Job used to sacrifice to the Lord in case they'd sinned. Just like we do, Job 
did everything to protect his children from the consequences of their actions. First, we may feel anger brought about by the arguments or the silent rejection. Or maybe we feel indignation that everything we've done has just been thrown back in our face. But then there's the twist in the knife that we all that we come to feel as parents. Perhaps after all I did wasn't enough. I didn't do enough. I should have done more. If only I had, or if only I hadn't, every instance of shabby parenting, and we've all got some instances of shabby parenting, rolls out before our eyes in glorious technicolour detail. The scene plays itself over and over in our mind, especially at 3am. And what if some of your guilt is well-founded? What if you did make mistakes or left some things undone? Especially the things that your child may mercilessly remind you of. You know, sins and sins and relationship problems in the context of the family, in spite of what the psychologists tell us today, do not wear special labels saying, this sin cannot be forgiven. As with any other sin, God's door is open for repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation. As with any other sin, um, even if our offended child isn't yet ready to forgive you, God is ready to forgive you. Even if we have to bear our child's anger for many years for our own spiritual and mental health, we must believe and accept that God has forgiven this thing, whatever it is, and we must forgive ourselves. Forgiving ourselves anything that we've done wrong in the family context is harder than forgiving ourselves anything else because it hurts the people we love the most. And how dare anyone hurt my child and here I've gone and, and hurt him more than anybody probably has. But that's not God's perspective. Sin in any context is sin and forgiveness given in any context is forgiveness given. Full stop. Is your prayer, Lord, I've been such an amazing mother. I don't deserve this sort of treatment from my son. I deserve that you bring him back to home. Or, Lord, I've done some, some things right, I suppose, but I've made a heck of a lot of mistakes. Please forgive me and help me play my part in setting things right. But I know, Father, that this problem's bigger than I can fix now, as much as I'd like to. 
Father, I come to you powerless and empty-handed, storm-tossed and not comforted, only trusting that you in your love and mercy would forgive and comfort me and protect and bring my child home to me and to yourself. You're probably in for a long wait. But as we'll further explore in this parable, God feels pain over his children, so he knows your pain over yours, and he will wait with you. God waits with you and will comfort you and give you what you need to put one foot after the other, one difficult day at a time. And through this experience, you'll gain a glimpse into the depth of love God has for his children. And hey, who's that? You and me. The father in this parable had the wisdom to know that whatever had happened in the past, the time had come to take his hands off. Not to give up, but to let go and learn the hard way if that's what the boy was intent on doing. It's called tough love. You may have heard about it, but it's the hardest of all for us mums to give. The father knew the time had come to, give, to, to let the boy go and put him in God's hands, and this father waited. He was probably living life on two levels. In spite of the pain, after a time, life has to go on. A face has to be put on. But I picture him frequently just standing at the gate, staring into the unknown, waiting. As we wait, we'll probably reach our rock bottom many times before our errant child reaches his we don't know how long the prodigal in this story enjoyed being the money bags and the life of the party amongst other similar wayward young blades and their female hangers-on. I wonder if any gossip of his exploits got back home. Another twist in the knife. But thankfully at last the good times dried up and he became utterly destitute. He even got to the point of eating the pig's food to stave off his gnawing need. It's just as well Noah offered him a crust. If they had, he wouldn't have come back to his father. It takes eating a lot of pig food or a mighty life blow to smash the pride that has to be smashed before anyone can say, I will arise and go to my father and say I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, just help me get on my feet again. Finally, the prodigal returned, empty, utterly contrite, fully aware of exactly what he had done, expecting nothing, no excuses. No swagger in his return, hoping to patch things up. Able only 
to trust in his father's common decency that he would treat him the same as he would any stranger. And the waiting father, utterly committed to the prodigal, he had waited long for him and rushed to embrace him with no recriminations, no lectures, no I told you so's or conditions, just unbounded joy and relief. This boy was reinstated and utterly embraced back into the fold. That boy entered into a depth of understanding of his father's love for him that he'd never known before and which I'm sure would have never left him. And they all lived, no, not happily ever after, the elder brother, the one who'd never done anything overtly wrong, serving faithfully, but resentful that his own faithfulness didn't somehow qualify him to occupy a higher place in his father's affections. Surely he deserved more than this brother, sibling rivalry, couldn't we all live without it? Both boys were children of the father. The older boy never really grasped what father love was all about, that a good father loves all his kids equally, even though they're different and some may appear to deserve it more. This son dutifully did all that was required and when he thought about it, expected it to entitle him to be in his father's good books. Perhaps he was living under the burden of thinking he had to be good to earn and retain his father's love. But the father in the parable loved the older son and the prodigal, different as they were, equally. Excuse me. <clears throat> but son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. The passage tells us the father pleaded with this boy. There is pain in the father's relationship with him too. <clears throat> this boy, <coughs> excuse me, never let his father really get close to him. Maybe the father was waiting for him too to stop striving to impress him and just let the father love him. Let him be dad, not just the old man who'd give me my entitlement someday. Thinking he was better and should be regarded as such, he's closed his heart and became bitter. But this parable is not just a manual on how to deal with your prodigal child. Called the prodigal son, it places emphasis on the boy. I suspect Jesus' emphasis was on the father. Perhaps it should be called the rock-solid, never-changing, all-embracing father. There is no doubt of the parallels here. The father is our father God and all of us are one or other of the boys. Maybe at some stage in, the, in your life, like the prodigal in the parable, 
you completely walked away from God. Maybe you've been brought up in a Christian home and it just didn't suit you. God's requirements didn't appeal to you much. You wanted something different and you didn't want to identify as a Christian. You just walked off. Maybe some of us haven't gone quite to that extreme. We never really severed the relationship as a deliberate act. But I think many of us could identify with a level of lapse, can we say? We're Christians all right, children of the Father. But for whatever reason, we've spent a lot of time looking around at what's out there, paying attention to the many, many voices all baying to be heard. Not enough time being still, spending time with, with our Father God and with his family. We gradually drift away until suddenly being a Christian's lost its gloss. The outcome, a distant relationship with God and discontent with our lot is pretty much the same. In our heads we know enough that God will forgive and restore our, our dried up relationship with him. But sometimes an unfortunate common cycle can be set in motion Drifting off, oh Father forgive me, I'll come back, I'll go to church. Drifting off, oh dear, I'll come back. We know our human friends won't put up with repeated um, performances of the same offences. God will still be waiting. But we get, can get to the point where we find it difficult to believe that God isn't sick of us. It can become rather difficult and uncomfortable. And we can have a sense of, well, even if I come back, am I going to stay? You know? I'm a bit of a failure. Listen to what God says about his straying children in Habakkuk, I think. In, this, in these few verses, Israel and Ephraim refer to God's people. Listen to these, it's Hosea, not Habakkuk. Listen to these verses as God's thoughts, as he looks through his photo album of each of our lives. When Israel, you, was a child, I loved him, her, and out of Egypt, far away place, I called my son, daughter. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images, did their own thing. But it was I who taught Ephraim, you, to walk. I love this language. Taking them by the arms. But they did not realise it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. Can you hear God's tenderness and subsequent pain over his straying children? Has your experience, perhaps with your children, 
helped you understand God's pain? Perhaps God's pain over you and me? I suspect each of us at some stage has been that wayward child, maybe not deliberately walking away, but holding God at arm's length in some area of our life, causing him pain as he remembers how he tried to teach us and bless us in so many ways that we ignored or took for granted. Isaiah says, The Lord waits for you to come to him so he can show you love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. In 2 Peter we're told, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promises, some understand slowness, but is patient for you with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance by eating pig food if necessary. He is waiting still with open arms, with no recriminations. Or are you more like the older brother? Do you really believe that it's not because you were brought up in a Christian home? Not because compared to some others, you're really pretty good. Not because you try to please, try so hard to please God. It's not for any of these reasons that he loves you this much, enough to die for you. Just like he loves everyone else, even the ones you don't like. Have you ever, metaphorically, just sat on God's knee and let him be daddy? Let him love you? Is God perhaps waiting for you to relax? and stop striving for what you can never achieve by your own efforts and stop comparing yourself with his other kids. Maybe you're neither of these two boys because never in your background up until now have you ever thought about God much. He's just not been on your horizon. You don't identify at all as being one of his children. Never bothered about it. He's waiting for you too, to adopt you into his family as one of his children. Jesus died for the whole world, not just for the religious people. Ephesians tells us, Jesus came to preach peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. And that through Jesus we can all become children of the Father. The parable is telling us that our Father God, Abba, Dad, is waiting for all of us, no matter who we are or aren't, no matter what we've done or haven't done. Our Father God has promised that every sin, every offence, is removed as far as the east is from the west, and cast into the depths of the sea. He has made provision for every level and variety of stuff up we can possibly manufacture into our lives. 
In his household, God wants us, his children, to know and love and trust him as our father, dad, and to get on with and love all his other kids, both the wayward and the goody-two-shoes types. The love of the father can't be earned or worked for, nor can it be destroyed by our actions or neglect. Our experience of the relationship can be damaged, but the love of the Father for us is constant. It can be received by coming to him empty-handed, believing that he accepts us because he wants to. The Father's family is a mix of prodigals and all sorts of brothers and sisters. We've got quite a mixture here in this church. And in heaven, we'll meet more of the motley crew. He has waited and will wait for every one of us to come to our own point of personal contact with him and to have, as Paul puts it, the eyes of our hearts opened to know the depth and riches of his love for us. Father, may it be so for each of us, no matter who we are, what our past, what we've done, what we haven't. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.